You're listening to episode number 78 of the Tailwind Coaching Podcast. Welcome to the Tailwind Coaching Podcast, where it's all about smart, efficient training so you can crush your cycling goals. And now, your host, Coach Rob Manning. All right, welcome to episode number 78 of the Tailwind Coaching Podcast, the only podcast on the internet that makes real science real simple. I am your host, Coach Rob, and I've got a great show for you today where we're going to discuss aerobic decoupling, what it is, why you should care about it, and how to measure it. But first, I've got a couple of announcements to make. Of course, the website, the Tailwind Coaching blog, the episode show notes receptacle, and back episodes of the Tailwind Coaching podcast are available at tailwind-coaching.com. That's also where you're going to find my online training plan store with a complete set of training solutions for all of your major season goals, whether it's a Grand Fondo, whether it's a race, whether it's riding with your friends, or it's just general fitness so that you can go out and ride more. I encourage you to check out my training plan support option, which is a $30 recurring monthly fee, which requires one of my downloadable training plans, but it basically allows you to hire a coach to help you work through that downloadable training plan. Whether you need to move workouts, whether you need advice on why you're not hitting numbers, or if you should th bring things down a little bit, if you need help with testing, I'm your man to help you out with that. While you're over there, sign up for the Tailwind, Tailwind Coaching newsletter, tailwind-coaching.com slash sign up. That's where you're going to get free coaching advice, workouts, fitness information, special offers, and of course, a weekly recap of what's been posted on Tailwind Coaching. Um, that comes to your inbox, once a week and with the occasional additional email coming to you. And don't forget to share that with your friends and help them ride a little bit stronger, faster, and all that as well. Contact me at coachrobdc at gmail.com if you really want to find out something about a consult or you have a question for me. Or you can find me on Strava, on Stitcher, on Facebook at the Tailwind Coaching Facebook page. You can find me on Twitter at coachrobdc or on Instagram at coachrobdc as well. Um, I encourage you, if you guys like what you're hearing, head on over to iTunes and rate the podcast on iTunes. The more ratings I have, the, help, the more it helps me move up the podcasting ranks. The more I move up, the more exposure, the more people I reach, and the more people that I can reach, the more people get to enjoy using this information to ride their bike a little bit better. I love nothing more than getting an email from somebody who says, hey, I listened to your podcast, I put the stuff to work outside, and I love riding my bike a little bit more. I can drop my friends. I can climb that hill that I've never been able to do. I got a PR on Strava. You know, I got a KOM on Strava. Whatever the case may be. All right. I love getting that out there. Tailwind Coaching Podcast is a free service supported by, you know, affiliate marketing, some affiliate links, and of course, you know, training plan purchases and things like that. But I offer it as a free service so I can watch people enjoy riding their bike. That's what being a coach is all about. And if you do enjoy the podcast and you want to give back, consider doing your affiliate shopping or some shopping on any of my affiliate links, whether it's Amazon, whether it's a new power meter from Stages, whether it's a power meter from Power Meter City. Head on over to tailwind-coaching.com resources, and that's where you can find all those links. It costs you nothing, and it does help support the show. and helps pay for the hosting, the bandwidth, and all that kind of stuff. And of course, for those of you who are loyal listeners, you'll know, if you're looking for a training plan and you want to take a few shekels off that, you can always use the discount code PODCAST10 to take 10% off of any of the training plans in my online training plan store. Now, before I get to the topic of today's 
uh, today's podcast, I do have a couple of other things to talk about. You guys haven't heard from me in probably about three months. I think the last time I released a podcast was right around the holidays. Um, And it's not a case of not having material to talk about. It's not a case of not wanting to do a podcast. Um, I've been doing a lot of work, a lot of server-side work, working with my hosting company to try and make the website a little bit faster, a little bit easier to navigate, um, trying to clean up a few things that went on with um, with my server switch uh, maybe six, eight months ago. Um, some issues that were lingering from that. On top of that, I have completely revamped my recording setup and my recording studio. I'm using a completely new board, a completely new mic, a completely new pop filter, um, new mic stand, uh, new cabling. I've done some major modifications to the actual computer that I use uh, to run my recording software. I changed recording software even. So um, this is going to be an entirely new setup. So if you have any kind of audio issues or you have suggestions for me, go ahead, shoot me an email at coachrobdc at gmail.com and let me know. I really want to try and make this podcast the best that I possibly can for all of my listeners. Um, And that's the reason I dropped you know, significant amount of money to really upgrade the equipment and make it as nice as I could make it and make the sound quality as good as I could. So that's why you haven't heard from me for about three months. And of course, if this is the first podcast you're listening to, you're going to be wondering what I'm talking about. And, you know, it is what it is. But with all that out of the way, let's get on to the topic of today's show. What is aerobic decoupling? What is it used for? How do you measure it? And why should you even care in the first place? Okay, first off, before I get started, I'm going to let you know that the podcast show notes for this particular episode of the Tailwind Coaching Podcast are at tailwind-coaching.com slash 78. That's tailwind-coaching.com slash 78. That's the quick link to get to any of the information that I discuss in this particular show. So moving on, what is aerobic decoupling? This is a word that a lot of people throw around, a lot of coaches throw around, you see on a lot of websites, and for the most part, from the athletes that I have worked with, this is a foreign concept to most of them. Um, Most athletes really have no idea what aerobic decoupling actually is or why they should care about it. I recall back in, maybe it was 2009, um, I was working with a traditional coach, and he looked at some of my information, and he said to me, hey, Rob, listen, your aerobic decoupling's way too high, and you know, you need to work on that, you need to think about it, and I said to him, well, what exactly is aerobic decoupling then? Um, and at that point, I was fairly new to training with power, and I was genuinely curious. Jim, what is aerobic decoupling? Well, that's, that's you know, how your heart rate changes compared to your power. That doesn't really tell me much, does it? That really doesn't tell you much, does it? I'm going to try and make this as simple as possible because Tailwind Coaching Podcast makes real science real simple. Here you go. Aerobic decoupling is simply a measure of aerobic efficiency and aerobic endurance. That's all it is. 
it's your aerobic efficiency. It's, it's technically, it's not your efficiency, but efficiency plays a big part of that. Efficiency is one of the keys to building aerobic endurance. You follow me? If you're not efficient, you can't have a lot of endurance because you're going to work way too hard and then you're going to blow up. So indirectly, yes, it's aerobic efficiency. Mainly we're measuring aerobic endurance. Okay. It's aerobic endurance and a number. <laughs> what the hell good does that do me? That's what you're probably asking right now. Well, let's back up here. Let's go through what aerobic endurance is. Well, aerobic endurance is the ability for your body to take in oxygen, process it, and produce energy, produce ATP. That molecule that I talk about in all kinds of other posts and podcasts, and I'll have a link in the show notes to those different podcasts if you want to find more about the aerobic process, the electron transport chain, the citric acid cycle, etc., etc. All that information you can look up on your own. I'm not going to go through and bore it right, bore you with it right now, but suffice to say, there is a link in the podcast show notes for that. But aerobic endurance, your the ability for your body to take in oxygen, process it, produce energy, and continue to do so while there is a significant demand placed on your body for energy. You following? It's the ability to resist fatigue and continue to produce energy to meet the demands of whatever event, whatever training, whatever activity you're performing. You follow me? So your body takes in oxygen, it goes through your lungs, it diffuses into your blood, your heart pumps that blood to your working muscles, and it diffuses into your working muscles into the mitochondria. Those mitochondria, through a long series of chemical reactions, create ATP or adenosine triphosphate, which helps to power muscle contraction. Muscle contraction very clearly is what creates pedaling force. That's what pushes the pedal. That's what pushes your bike forward. In order for you to do that aerobically, your body needs that supply of oxygen. And of course, it needs a supply of fuel. Uh, that fuel can be fat, can be sugar, can be protein. Either way, no matter what it is, oxygen is required for that aerobic component to be um, functioning. So if you go too hard, you can't deliver enough oxygen um, quickly enough to your working muscles. You have to go into an anaerobic state where your body simply burns up sugar or sometimes there's a small amount of fat in order to produce energy very quickly. So why is that backstory very important? Well, here's the issue. Take a time trial. A time trial, particularly like a 40K time trial. So working around uh, maybe an hour, an hour and 10 minutes, give or take. That hour, hour and 10 minutes, your body is working at a relatively stable, constant level of output. Right? You should be working around your functional threshold power. So you should be working in an aerobic constraint. You should be working in an aerobic condition for the vast majority of that time trial. Here's the problem when you work at a constant level. 
if you take a muscle fiber and you make it contract for an hour. At some point, that muscle fiber becomes fatigued. Lactic acid builds up in the muscle, metabolic waste products build up in the muscle fiber, and it cannot produce the same amount of force. So in order to maintain that same amount of power output, that same level of intensity, your body is forced to recruit more muscle fibers. The more muscle fibers that your body recruits, the more oxygen it uses, right? Those fatigued fibers can't do as much work, so they have to call on their buddy next to them to help you maintain that steady power level that you're asking of it. So instead of having one fiber working, now you have two fiber work, two fiber, yeah, you have two fiber working. <laughs> you have two fibers working. Now the more fibers that are working, the more oxygen is required to power both of those fibers as opposed to just one of them. The more oxygen you require, the more blood volume is necessary in order to deliver that oxygen from your lungs, through your arteries, through your capillaries, into your muscle tissue. The more blood volume you need, the more you have to increase your cardiac output. So how does one increase their cardiac output? I've talked about this in the past, but there are a few ways to do it. The simplest way that your body tends to take this, uh, this route in most cases is to simply raise your heart rate. This raising of your heart rate at a consistent or, or stable uh, power output level is simply heart rate drift, which I know many of you have heard about in the past. I've gotten emails you know, asking me about heart rate drift and should I be concerned about it. The point is, as you try to recruit more fibers so that you can maintain that consistent power output level, your heart rate starts to drift or rise. That, my friends, is exactly what aerobic decoupling is. It's the breakpoint whereby which your heart rate does not maintain a constant gap or a constant ratio to your power output. You following me? It's very simply how much heart rate drift you are experiencing. And because heart rate drift is a measure of how your, in, your muscular endurance is on a muscle fiber level, it's simply a measure of how fatigue resistant you are and how good your endurance is. So heart rate drift creates aerobic decoupling an aerobic decoupling is a sign of endurance. Now, there's two ways this can happen. I mentioned the scenario whereby you maintain a constant power output. You've got that 40K time trial. You stay right at threshold for that one hour that it takes you to complete it. And your heart rate starts to drift. It starts to rise over the course of that time trial. There is another type of... Um, aerobic decoupling by which your heart rate is stays constant. However, your power tends to drop off. All right. So you're trying to keep your heart rate the same so that you don't go into the red zone, for example, and by as a byproduct, your power just suffers. This is typically what happens if I take an athlete and I say, 
go race a time trial on your heart rate. If I tell an athlete to race a time trial on their heart rate, they're going to try and keep their heart rate right about that threshold level. But I can almost guarantee you that by the end of an hour, I'm going to see that power drop off two, three, five, sometimes as much as 10 or 12%. Now, if I go and tell an athlete, all right, this is your threshold. You have a one hour time trial coming. I want you to work that time trial at between 105% of your threshold, 100 to 105% of your threshold. And they keep it there. They, they do that hour between 100 and 105% of their functional threshold power. I can pretty much tell you that unless you are extremely fit, I'm going to see some aerobic decoupling, 2, 3, 5, 10, 12%. It just depends on what metric you're following and what metric you're using to control your effort. If you're using heart rate, you're going to see a power decline. If you're using power, you're going to see a heart rate incline or increase. So that's something to keep in mind for how you're going to use um, power and heart rate as metrics for your training and your racing, right? Now, it's worth pointing out that Aerobic decoupling is essentially useless when you have a mixed type of workout. If I take a crit racer and I start looking at aerobic decoupling during a race, it's absolutely pointless. Aerobic decoupling is completely ruined by anaerobic effort. The more anaerobic effort, the higher the variability index of that workout, the less accurate aerobic decoupling is going to be in any way, shape, or form. Aerobic decoupling is really only used for aerobic capacity, aerobic capacity workouts, and typically the only time I'm evaluating this, and this is an important point for those of you who are self-coached, the only time I'm evaluating aerobic decoupling is if I'm in the base phase or sometimes in the early build phase when I have somebody who cannot manage to hit numbers in terms of their high-intensity workouts. That's when I start to go back to the drawing board and tell them, listen, Get your butt out there, do a 20-minute time trial at your threshold, and I want to see what your decoupling looks like. And if you come up with greater than 5% on a general rule, I'm going to tell you back to the drawing board. We're going to do another few weeks of base work just to try and build that back up so that you have a solid base to work on. Now, we've described what it is. What is it used for? Well, I touched on that a little bit, but let's get a little bit more in depth for what aerobic decoupling is used for. As I said a little bit earlier, aerobic decoupling is really truly a measure of your aerobic fitness and aerobic endurance. Essentially, the longer you can ride with a minimum of heart rate drift or a minimum of power loss, essentially a minimal um, decoupling measure, or minimal decoupling measurement, the longer you, the, you know, the longer you can ride like that, the more fit you are, the more fatigue resistant you are, and the stronger base you have built over the winter or your base period or whatever it may be. Now, I've said before that fatigue resistance really is one of the keys to building solid base fitness. I've detailed that in multiple articles, muscular endurance articles, sweet spot training articles. And of course, I'm going to link both of those in the episode show notes, um, some muscular endurance information, 
some sweet spot training information just so that you can take a look at it. I tell, I'm encouraging you to read through that stuff. It's great material and it really puts perspective on what you should and should not be doing during your base phase. For those of you who are in nor you know the northern hemisphere, you're coming out of you know your winter time. It's it's late March here in the northeast of the United States. You're coming out of your winter sessions. You're starting to build towards your uh, spring and summer goals and your fall goals. For those of you who are doing cyclocross, if you're in you know Australia, you're you're pretty much tapering down the end of your season and you're going to start back up relatively soon in terms of your base training. So it's a real key to understand the muscular endurance part of it, the sweet spot training part of it. And that's you know, why that's so important. Um, as, you know, in short, you have to train your muscle fibers to be fatigue resistant. Otherwise, you're essentially just going to rifle through those muscle fibers while you're competing. And eventually, when you run out of muscle fibers, because they really are finite, you're going to end up cramping, bonking, or just generally having a pretty crappy time so that brings the question of how long should you be fatigue resistant for and that's a pretty open-ended question and that requires a little bit of inner perspective or a little bit of look towards your your goals and your aspirations it really depends on the demands of your target events. If you are, for example, targeting a 50-mile uh, Grand Fondo or a 50-mile road race, you know, you're going to be out there for, you know, three hours, give or take. Um, <clears throat> hell, for those of you who are in the Northeast, you want to go do Grand Fondo, New Jersey, the Medio Fondo, which is about 66 miles. That'll take you somewhere in the neighborhood of three to three and a half hours, right? More probably closer to three and a half hours. So essentially, that is an overall aerobic event. That is, you're going to spend most of your time below your functional threshold. There's no way you're going to ride at FTP for three hours. It's not going to happen. You're not going to ride over FTP for three hours. You're going to have certain portions of that event where you're going to ride at Zone 5, VO2 max, zone 6, you know, your anaerobic um, anaerobic levels. But for the most part, you're going to spend a lot of time in the aerobic zone, in the tempo zone, that zone 2, zone 3, your zone 3 plus, your sweet spot level. Um, so you need to be fatigue resistant for that event. You need to expect to be fatigue resistant for about 3 to 3.5 hours. Now let's take it the other way. If you're one of those guys that I'm working with who is training to be a criterium racer, right? You want to get out there and you want to just beat the bejesus out of yourself for a good solid hour. Guess what? You need to be fatigue resistant for an hour. Now, for a crit racer, bear in mind that there are other considerations that you need to think about. Um, you know, as I mentioned earlier anaerobic efforts really you know really kind of screw up aerobic decoupling measurements so you have to certainly have a measure of repeatability in your anaerobic capacity but if you're going to be able to even begin working on that anaerobic capacity and that anaerobic repeatability you need to have 
a certain amount of aerobic fatigue resistance and aerobic endurance. So if you're racing a crit that's about an hour, pretty simple. You need to have about an hour of aerobic fatigue resistance or aerobic endurance. So for an hour, your aerobic decoupling should be pretty small. Beyond that hour, pfft, the hell, go to town. It doesn't really matter. If your goals align with your training, you'll be successful. And this is no different. Take the perspected or projected perspective. Yeah, okay. This is what happens when you have a couple of beers before you sit down to record. Um, <laughs> take the projected duration of your main goal for the season, your A-level goal, whether it's a Grand Fondo, whether it's a race, whether it's a group ride, whether it's a charity ride, and set your aerobic endurance based on that goal. That's what you need to be fatigue resistant for. Now, it is, of course, generally a good idea to be able to handle more um, works than you really need because you never know exactly how long it's going to be. That 65 miles may take you four and a half hours. And if you've only trained yourself to be fatigue resistant up to three and a half or three, life's going to suck for you for that last hour. Let me tell you, I've been there. I've done it. I made that mistake. And it's not pretty, folks. That's when you limp home cramping tired, miserable, cranky, and you just basically hate life. All the fun you had in that first three hours just got washed over by the fact that the last hour was misery and pain. So it's always a good idea to handle more than you need. If you're that crit guy that needs an hour of fatigue resistance and aerobic endurance, it's probably not a bad idea to be fatigue resistant over the course of several hours. And I mean, of course, most of you were going out and training for more than an hour at a time anyway so if you can't even handle the fatigue resistant requirements of your training rides we got problems folks we got problems um, over that projected duration what is the magic number for me the magic number is about five percent or less aerobic decoupling now again i have to point this out that 5% aerobic decoupling applies to an aerobic threshold workout. Let me repeat that. That 5% number applies to an aerobic threshold workout. It does not apply to a mixed workout. It does not apply to an anaerobic workout. It does not apply to over-unders. It does not apply to Tabata-type intervals. It applies to a steady-state aerobic workout. Go back in the podcast. I talked about how anaerobic efforts destroy your aerobic coupling numbers. So the take home here is even if you're not doing a complete session that is an aerobic session, you can still pull a 20-minute segment, a 30-minute segment, a 40-minute segment, an hour segment out of a workout that's an aerobic threshold type workout, a functional threshold power workout, an FTP workout, a sweet spot workout, a zone three tempo workout. Whatever the case may be, you can pull it. You can run it a um, aerobic. Uh, fit. <sighs> you can run an aerobic decoupling measure. I'm looking at my notes here, and I just skipped ahead about 15 paragraphs. You can run an aerobic decoupling measure on that 
20, 30, 40, 60 minute portion of your workout and you can actually get a solid number. And in fact, in fact, I like to do that with my athletes, especially the ones that I'm training for shorter, harder events. Because typically, once you hit that aerobic portion of a workout, you're going to be fatigued from some other part of your workout. Um, I'll have athletes that may do Tabatas, they may do three by threes, um, they may do over-unders, whatever the case may be, and then finish up with a 30-minute sweet spot block. One of my favorite things to do is to take a look at that sweet spot block, run an aerobic decoupling measure on it, and see how did they do after they were beaten into the ground by a really hard anaerobic workout. And the ones that keep that magic number of 5% or less generally go on to be incredibly successful at whatever their A-level goal is. All right, so now you understand what the magic number is, you understand what it's used for, how long you should be fatigue resistant. You're probably sitting there going, well, this is all well and good, but how the hell do I measure this? How can I possibly figure this out? All right, let's get into that. Let's delve into how you measure aerobic decoupling. Now, if you're really good and you're a math head, not a meth head, a math head, M-A-T-H. Half the time when I say something in my car, my car misconstrues it and sends a text message to somebody that has that same effect. So um, if you're a math head, I need to speak exceptionally clearly and make sure I have perfect diction when I do that. You want to measure sweets, uh, you know, you want to measure your aerobic decoupling yourself. You can do it. There's a couple of ways to do it using a sweet spot training workout, using a uh, functional threshold power workout. You can do the math. You can figure it out. However, you do. There are a couple of requirements for what you need in order to measure uh, your aerobic decoupling. And, and they're pretty important because without them, I mean, you're kind of up a creek without a paddle. And those two things really are that you need to have heart rate recorded and you need to have power numbers recorded and you need to have these done as um, really you need to take multiple measurements so doing this yourself if you're a math head you can look it up I'm not going to tell you how to do it because I'm a lazy coach that likes to do things the easy way because the easy way to do it gives me more time to focus on your issues as opposed to me trying to sit there and scribble numbers on a piece of paper. You can do this very easily by plugging one of your rides into WKO, Golden Cheetah, Training Peaks, any of those major software suites that you use for measuring and tracking your training data. It's a very, very simple measurement to do in those suites and it's very easily calculated. As I mentioned, you need a power meter or you need power data of some kind, you can get it from a trainer. I know there's a couple of trainers out there like the Kinetic Trainer, the Elite Drivo, the Wahoo Kicker. All, all these things have power meters built in. So if you don't have one on your bike proper, you can still get this information by pulling from a power trainer, you know, a power meter on a trainer. Um, you also need heart rate. 
And heart rate's cheap. Heart rate's a very simple, you know, tool to use. And it's a, it's a very useful tool to use too. Don't get me wrong. I, I love training athletes with power. But heart rate is an invaluable tool. In fact, I yelled at athletes in the past who sit there and say, well, I don't want to wear my heart rate monitor. Well, just wear your damn heart rate monitor and we'll get some more information out of it. It'll be more, you know, more information means better outcomes for you. I understand they're not the most comfortable, but they are a valuable, valuable tool. So you need both of those and you need a way to calculate it. So you need WKO. Golden Cheetah is open source, so it's free or you need training peaks or something of that nature. What you need to do, you need to get yourself a longer aerobic threshold type effort. 20 minutes is the minimum. If you're doing a functional threshold test, this is not really the best time to do it because if you're doing an FTP test, chances are you're gonna be pushing a little bit above and beyond what your threshold truly is or was at least for part of the part of the test you want a very even very even effort variability index if you're a power meter user and you're familiar with this a variability index is a measure of how even your power output was during a certain you know certain effort or a certain interval variability index of one is perfect but around one is very, very good. That's a good piece of data to use. 20 minutes or longer. The longer, the better. The closer the effort is in duration to the actual event that you're taking on, the better. All right? So you simply pull that data, that 20 minutes, that 30 minutes, that hour, that hour and a half, whatever it may be, and you look for an aerobic decoupling measure. Now you'll have a number, either positive or negative. There is a negative part of this as well. Not a negative part of this, but a negative number in terms of aerobic decoupling. I'll get to that in just a second. You'll get a number which will be an evaluation of how much heart rate drift you experienced in comparison to your power output. And again, the magic number is 5% or less. Now, I know some of you out there are going to do this, but coach, I did this, or you're going to come back to me later and you're going to say this, coach, I did this and I got a negative aerobic decoupling. I got a negative number. What does that mean? Well, if you came back to me and told me that you had a negative number first, I'd have to go and make sure that everything was calibrated properly. And I'd want to make sure that you were actually performing at the correct output level. What does that mean? Well, I'd want to make sure that you were performing at a constant level because what happens with a negative output or a negative aerobic decoupling measure means that the two curves got closer together as opposed to further apart. So if I'm plotting your heart rate and your power on a graph, the two in terms of decoupling should separate. In a negative number, they're coming together. Now, if they're coming together, that means one of two things. That means that you are either, your heart rate is dropping in comparison to a continuous power level, or your heart rate is staying constant, but your power is increasing. And that's the more common 
scenario. And that more common scenario tends to happen in people who are not measuring their threshold properly, or they tend to drift on their power numbers. So if they're doing, say, a sweet spot training workout, sweet spot training being about 91% of your functional threshold, I'm going to watch to see, does that creep up towards 95 to 100 to 105%? That's not necessarily a true representation of your decoupling. Keep that in mind. Now, the other time you're going to see aerobic decoupling is if for some bizarre reason, you don't have a variability index around one, or you have a variability index around one, but you have a couple of spikes in that very even power. What that typically means is that's the guy who's riding outside and he's riding a mostly flat route, but it has one small hill in it. So he ramps up the pace a little bit. That additional power, say he does a two minutes at VO2 level, that additional power changes the aerobic decoupling, changes his average power, he ends up putting out more power. So there are plenty of variables in there and typically you're not gonna run into the negative decoupling. If you do, and you're not sure what to do, shoot me an email, I can help you out with that. But the magic number, 5% or less, decoupling over the duration of the aerobic threshold workout, right? That's what you need. Now, things to consider that may change or skew your aerobic decoupling and not give you a true representation of your aerobic endurance and your aerobic fitness. Number one, hydration status. This is a killer for any kind of aerobic decoupling measurements. If you are dehydrated, your performance will suffer. This has been shown again and again and again and again and again and again and again, and I don't need to go on. This has been shown over and over and over again in multitudes of studies for a loss of 2% of your body weight, you can lose up to 15% of your performance, right? So what happens if you lose fluid? If you lose fluid, you lose blood, blood plasma volume. Say that three times fast. You lose fluid through your sweat, you lose body fluid, you lose blood plasma volume, very minimal, but you do lose it. That means the stroke volume your heart puts out doesn't change, right? But in order to maintain cardiac output, the total volume of blood your body puts out in a minute, it has to beat faster because there simply is not enough blood in your body to maintain that. So dehydration can ruin your performance and it can give you a falsely high decoupling ratio. Heat index or heat or hot conditions, hot climates can do the same thing independent of dehydration status. Now I looked for research on this and there isn't much of it. There's not really much research that says too that once somebody acclimates to the heat that their aerobic decoupling should drop and return to you know, pre-acclimatization levels, all right? That was interesting to me. Now, scientifically, it seems that if you're, say, from New York and it's the winter and you go to Phoenix to do a week-long training camp or, say, two weeks, even three weeks, let's do three weeks. You're, you, you know, you're, you're a boss and you can go out to Phoenix for, like, three weeks and just ride your bike and train and all that kind of stuff. 
The first few days you're there, the heat is going to kill you. It's going to be brutal. Your performance is going to suffer. You're going to feel like your legs are heavy. You can't put out power. You can't hit your numbers, etc., etc. After a week, suddenly, you feel great again. Your body is used to working in the heat. Now, in theory, if you had an aerobic decoupling when you left New York at 5%, and you went out to Phoenix, and the first day you were out there, your second day you were out there, you measured it again, and suddenly it's 15%. Now you're going, well, man, I'm, I'm really not very fit. My guess, in fact, my educated guess, and the scientist and the physiologist in me would say that after you've acclimated, your aerobic decoupling should return to around that 5% number. That's assuming your hydration status is is status quo. So for those of you who are training in a hot environment or you're going from a cold environment to a hot environment, say you're going from an air-conditioned trainer to a super hot ride outside or a hot race outside, keep in mind that that heat may change your decoupling numbers and it may give you a falsely high aerobic decoupling. So a couple of pitfalls to take a look at and to watch for when you're looking at intervals to do aerobic decoupling measurements on. Now, moving on to the last bit here. Of course, I have to tell you what workouts are going to help you reduce that aerobic decoupling, help you increase your aerobic endurance and fatigue resistance. I mentioned a couple of these earlier. I've mentioned them over and over in multitudes of podcasts and multitudes of articles. Muscular endurance. Get more me. Challenge those muscle fibers to work longer under duress. That's the best way to increase fatigue resistance. And of course, because I've advocated in the past that muscular endurance should be done sub-threshold, you have the potential to throw sweet spot training in there as well. Any of you who have done any of my training programs will know I'm a huge, huge advocate of MESST, right? Muscular endurance, sweet spot training. One of the best things since sliced bread. <laughs> Mainly because it takes two of my favorite things, two of my most necessary training elements, and it combines them into one easy-to-work interval. 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, an hour. Whatever you got to do. If your goal event is over two hours in length, I'm not going to tell you to go out and do a four-hour MESST workout. That's friggin' insane. I don't know that I could even go out and do that. I don't know I have the motivation to do that. In fact, I can tell you I don't have the motivation to do that because I race on the track and pretty much my whole life is measured at 333 meters at a time. Um, aerobic decoupling is pointless on the track, by the way. So for those of you who are really prologue riders and things like that, phew, this is something you don't even have to think about. I mean, really, in, in reality, you really do. But you're not going to be measuring aerobic decoupling on the track or during a prologue, so don't even bother. But anyway, I, I digress. If your goal event's over two hours, you're going to do multiple sessions all right, of endurance-type work, whether it's muscular endurance, whether it's sweet spot work, whatever the case may be. You're going to do them back to back to back to back in a week. You're going to try and build that out, especially so that you accumulate fatigue over the course of several days. You're not going to accumulate it all in one day, but if you do, an, say you end up tagging up an hour and a half of muscular endurance and sweet spot work uh, over the course of a workout. If you go out tomorrow 
And, and it's really funny for those of you who have Garmin 520s and 820s and thousands or whatever it is, the, the recovery index will often yell at you for this. And it's really quite funny when it does so. If you go out tomorrow and then you rack up another hour and a half of MESST or whatever the case may be, aerobic work, and you go out the day after and you rack up even more, you're going to watch that recovery time just continue to increase. That's basically the cumulative fatigue of multiple days of work. And that's how you go about building uh, aerobic endurance and aerobic fatigue resistance for an event that is more than a couple hours in length. Uh, if you're doing one hour events, if you're doing, you're that crit racer and you need the one hour, you can get out and do an hour and an hour and a half or an hour and a half of fatigue resistant work in order to make sure that you get what you need. So that's pretty simple. Um, FTP type workouts, time trial type workouts, things that really challenge you to hold a constant power level, um, regardless of pedal tension, regardless of strength, regardless of anything else, those can be really tough workouts, right? At the end of a workout, if you've gone out and you've done your 45 minutes of intervals and you want to tack on and you want to see how good you are, I challenge you, you do 45 minutes of like over-unders or minute on, minute off, um, you know, throw my 3-2-2-1 workout in there and see if you can handle that. And then after you're done, knock out a half an hour block of sweet spot training or tempo training. Let's, that'll really see what you're made of in terms of aerobic endurance and aerobic decoupling capacity. If you have 5% or less by the time you're done with that, my, fun, my friend, you are set. That's where you should be. All right. I know you're going to have questions about aerobic decoupling and aerobic endurance. Don't forget, there's lots of links in the episode show notes, tailwind-coaching.com slash 78 for that information. All right. There's a plenty of links in there. If you have questions after that, go ahead and shoot me an email at coachrobdc at gmail.com and I'd be glad to help you out. If you have files that you need me to look at, you want me to look at, I can do that too. Just shoot me an email and let's chat, right? Again, if you liked the podcast, you enjoyed what you're hearing, go ahead on over to iTunes and rate the podcast five stars. I'll include a link in the episode show notes as well. And of course, if you want to support the show and give back a little bit, go ahead and do some of your shopping through some of my affiliate links at tailwind-coaching.com resources, and I will be greatly appreciative. It doesn't cost you a penny, and it does help me out a little bit. So thanks for listening. Glad to be back and glad to be recording again with you guys. Keep the shiny side up. Keep the rubber side down. I hope your endurance is building, and I hope you're ready to get out there and strangle the world by the end of the crappy spring, crappy winter weather. I'll talk to you all again real, real soon.